tea is the most popular drink on the planet. It would seem, then, that we know the most about it. I suspect, though, that is not really so. What I know of tea barely scratches the surface. There is much to know and learn about tea, and knowing that helps us appreciate it more. And no, we don't have to stand on ceremony, but those are nice. The Culinary Libertarian Podcast, Episode 104. Welcome to the Culinary Libertarian Podcast, where the philosophy is free, but the food is on you. Hello, folks. Dan Reed here, the Culinary Libertarian. Welcome back to the podcast. Happy to have you here. Happy to be here. Check out my cookbook fan page, culinarylibertarian.com slash cooking for comfort to see some of the fan photos readers have sent me of dishes they've made. You can also read the introduction to the book on that page. Fall baking is really just not that far away. Stock up on all your favorite flavors for the perfect pumpkin pie at culinarylibertarian.com slash savory spice. My guest today is Julie Tu, social media director for Tea Lula, a tea store in Chicago. In addition to managing social media and the Facebook Live events, Julie also works with customers and is a certified tea specialist and teaches an introduction to loose leaf tea workshop. I've asked Julian to give us a primer in tea. There is a lot to know, so let's get started. Welcome, Julie. Thank you for joining me today on the Culinary Libertarian Podcast. Hi, Dan. I'm so happy to be here. Well, I'm happy you're here. It took a little bit of time to, to work this out, but it's going to be worth it because we're talking tea. So before we get rolling, just give a little bit of an introduction about yourself, and I know you've got some experience with tea, so uh, tell us what you know about tea. A little bit about myself. So I uh, work for a small independent loose leaf tea shop in the lovely suburbs of Chicago. It's called Tea Lula, and I actually manage social media for them, but um, in five years, I have earned a tea certification, and I also teach our introduction to loose leaf tea classes and blending classes, um, as well as I host a Mindful Monday tea that's just online with some of our customers. Um, I'm trying to think now. <laughs> it's, uh, it's just been a really lovely way to... Um, it's a lovely way to share some time with our customers and, um, yeah. So I've always been a tea drinker. Um, I also drink coffee, so we call it our sister beverage. So I'm assuming that, in fact, I know this, that the website, no, wrong word, that the store has a website. Yes, we have, our website is tealula.com, T-E-A-L-U-L-A.com, and it's open 24-7, although we are not there 24-7. Well, of course not, that would be silly. Who would do a thing like that? <laughs> So I will put a link for that up on today's show notes page, which will be culinarylibertarian.com slash 104. So 
In the South, there is a bit of a joke, which isn't really a joke, that there's two kinds of tea, sweet and unsweet. <laughs> that is, I hear that, yes. Uh, I want to start with some basics first, which is, what is tea? Is tea made from just one plant, like coffee is from one plant, but there are hundreds of varieties? That is absolutely true. You ha you've nailed it on the head. And it's funny that you say there's sweet tea and unsweet tea. So that's two. There's actually six types of tea. But all true tea comes from the Camilla sinensis plant. And you'll generally find it in Asia. So China, India, Vietnam are, are growing areas. Um, but you will find some in Kenya. It's uh, That is, I think, the fifth largest growing region. It's a large growing region, I should just say that. It's, it's quite a large exporter of tea, as well as you'll find some plantations in North America. Not many, because we just don't have the climate or the environment that the tea plant would really thrive in. So Japan also is another growing region. So one plant, and just like a rose, there are all these different varieties of tea. And what differentiates different types of tea is... Um, the process of which it comes from the farm, from the plantation, from you know, the plant, and then it's how it's dried and how it's how um, it goes through a withering process, drying process, shaping, and on all that oxidation. Right. I actually want to get into that a little bit more. There is also I'm going to say this poorly: the Camilla asemica. How yes. is that different than the sinensis? Yes. So, Camilla sinensis is the main. Uh, the main plant, and then that asamica is a different variety. So there's Camilla sinensis sinensis is like uh, what you would what we would know like a, a say a Chinese black tea or even our our regular tea bag tea that you might find in your grocery store. So Camilla sinensis sinensis, Camilla sinensis asamica. The difference there is that the leaf is um, a little bit larger. The growing regions is it's going to be in a more humid, hot growing regions such as India. And so Assam's actually, and it will also um, have a different flavor profile. So the sinensis sinensis variety is going to be a, a smaller leaf even. Um, and you'll find that in China, uh, in higher elevations, um, Japan as well. There's also Camilla sinensis japonica, if I've said that right, japonica. And um, so there are Again, different varieties. But the Assams are generally, you'll find those in a lot of the breakfast blends and uh, black tea blends because of its uh, richness and boldness. So it's okay. a big rabbit hole <laughs> to well, go down. You know, people on this show are familiar with rabbit holes. Yes. So tea could almost be more like wine in that the leaves are moving into herbs in a minute. But And I, I could probably make an argument that even the Camilla sinensis is an herbal tea since it's from a plant and a leaf, but that's probably another rabbit hole. So tea can be like wine in the sense that there's a lot of flavor profile going on here. Absolutely. And even though, okay, it's a grape, but we have red grapes and white grapes and there's a lot going on. So let's keep the wine similarity going for just a bit. Mm-hmm. Teas with the change of heat 
by the, the temperature of the water and the time, the exposure to the water. And then we have things like surface area of the tea leaf, which is small to begin with. Uh, we can make something that's weak or something that's potent. And in either case, there is the palate of the drinker to consider. How should people learn to taste tea to experience the flavors that it has? Mm, keep drinking tea. <laughs> well, it's just such an interesting beverage um, where, again, like wine, because there's so many different profiles, so many different types, um, where would somebody start? You know, uh, many times when we have customers come into the store for the first time, um, you have different one they're looking for um, just a regular black tea because that's what they've grown up with. Maybe their mother, their grandmother, a family member, that's what they remember. And they just kind of want to um, grow in their tea knowledge, aside from buying something from the grocery store. Um, but then there are some people who just want to drink tea because they, they hear of the health benefits, which is another rabbit hole that we would go down to. But I mean, for the most part, when people come in and they just want to try something, you just keep sampling. You really do. And, and we're just happy even when you have people um, saying that, oh, they love, let's say, celestial seasonings. I'm not getting paid by this or Lipton or they have a favorite blend from Tazo or, you know, maybe there's a tea shop down the block from them. And we will even help them find the flavor profiles that that they're looking for. So in our store, we have over 200 blends. So it's kind of crazy. Um, and when I say blends, that also includes like our straight up single estate. You know, it's a, a tea that has come from one place one harvest. So it can get really kind of sounds a little, um, I don't want to say snooty, but it kind of does. But we're it's, not snooty at, at, about our tea at all. We just well, would love sharing. The, the word I was thinking about, and it applies to, it applies certainly to wines and, and it applies to coffee. You, and snooty's right. There's now, I don't want to besmirch people because I'm a coffee drinker mostly and I'm. <laughs> I just, I am. That's what I am. I like a good um, cup of coffee too. But see, that's the thing. A good cup of coffee. And of course, that means to you probably something that different than it means to me. But and I, I own being a snooty coffee drinker, but I try not to be arrogant and snooty at the same time. And that might, <laughs> might be losing <laughs> that battle. I don't know. But anyway. Um, so one particular aspect of tea different from wine or coffee is the wide range of physical and physiological effects tea has on the body. Now, you mentioned some of them as, as kind of like medicines, and I, I know you're not into, well, you're not <laughs> in a position to discuss homeopathic um, applications of tea, and I don't want to put you in the spot. No, and I, I don't, you know, I won't make... Um, Claim, medical claims like that. I'm not an herbalist, nor am I a doctor or physician, you know, um, but really the culture of tea, which is, can be a whole podcast just on its own, but the culture of tea, you know, you think about it, sometimes people gravitate towards a hot cup of tea when they're feeling kind of, you know, off and it's just, you know, something soothing about it. Um, but there are just so many research projects going on about tea. Honestly, like I think this was in the last few years, there's any given year, there's probably over 5,000 
uh, tea research projects because there's just so many benefits to, you know, well, um, they're components of tea that are very healthy. So when somebody comes in and says, you know, oh, you know, can, can I find a tea to help me with pick your ailment or pick your, you know, what's bothering you? And usually we'll say, you know what, you drink the rainbow of tea. You know, there's no magic bullet. There's no magic pill to, to help, right? But you just try to have a general healthy lifestyle. And we really feel that tea can meet you where you're at, you know, and I think that's what's what's really nice about tea because it is it's calming, it's soothing, um, and it generally is not something for like the go up and get them kind of. It's like no, you're going to have a cup of tea just from the preparation of it, and then drinking it and it slows down. So that's also part of the lifestyle, right? So just trying to be healthy and mindful. <laughs> Well, yes, and, and you're right. And I'm going to make a point about the culture of the tea in a little bit. There, you know, when, when, I was, when I spent my years in the kitchen, we went to the grocery store because that was fast. And uh, without pitching a company's name, there was one, there's two good. There's one called Sleepy Time, which mm-hmm. is, I think, intended to partly with the, the, the ceremony of making tea is its own thing. But there is between some herbs which are designed, not designed, have the calming sedative effect and some things can be stimulants that aren't caffeine but can have the same, you can have the same response. You can really, boy, oh boy, you can get up. So if someone's looking for a tea to replicate the caffeine effect in the body without caffeine, what is there a kind of ingredient they should be looking for? So, well, we can take a step back because all tea actually has caffeine. Camilla sinensis has caffeine. So if you um, want to equate it to coffee, though, it's never going to have the same amount of caffeine as coffee. And we're actually infusing a leaf, right? We're, we're steeping a leaf, whereas coffee is made from a bean. So there's just a different chemistry um, absorption or an absorption of the caffeine in your body. So that's why we get a jolt from coffee, but we can talk about that in a little bit. So given that though, that all tea has caffeine and there's just different levels, um, what you might look for, if you're looking for that calming kind of a sedative type of feel, you would want to go to an herbal tea, if you wanted completely caffeine free. Um, So herbal teas, if it does not have, if a tea does not have Camilla sinensis in its ingredient list, if you're going to the store, um, it's probably naturally caffeine free. There's decaf tea and that will still actually have a little bit of caffeine in it. Just not as much. Decaffeination will, in the United States, actually it's up to 3% caffeine in there. I think in the UK or in Europe, it's 1% caffeine. So that's all FDA kind of stuff. But, um, you know, if you're looking for an herbal tea that's that's soothing, people tend to go to a, a chamomile, uh, a mint. You know, mint is very soothing in the stomach. And this is all just from, you know, historical practice, I guess you want to say. Um, but the herbals are really, really nice for that 
non-caffeine, soothing, kind of a sleepy time type of tea. I know that lavender in lotions is said to, especially in, in lotions for babies, is said to, I don't know what the words are, calming or help them sleep. And mm-hmm. I, I'm, um, I'm, I did a whole episode on lavender between the leaves which nobody thinks about is an herb, and it's a right. fantastic addition to a venison dish. If you like to cook and eat meat, put lavender in your venison, and I'm telling you, it's fantastic. But the flowers, of course, for all kinds of things, lavender ice cream or the little sachets for your dresser or for a tea, but they also yes. go into food. So I want to ask you just the philosophical question. If it doesn't have Camillus, is it tea? So we would call it a tizan. So tizan, or it's it looks like tizane. It's just a fancy word for saying it's a non-tea, like an herbal tea. But because we're the Western hemisphere, like everything you put in hot water and you brew it, it's a tea. <laughs> so right. it's and- um, but that's what we call. It. So it'd be a tizan, an herbal infusion, um, or. Sometimes it could be a fruit tisane, a fruit infusion. Um, so that's like with dried fruits. And usually there is some flavoring also attached to that. So, but yeah, lavender is so aggressive sometimes. So you got to be really careful. Oh, it's, 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 you know, it, it, it's pretty, it looks delicate, but she's a bully. <laughs> that's a great way to put it. I love that. It can be very aggressive. So when I do a blending class, it's usually like, be careful, everyone. I want to get into the brewing of tea, the possible strict adherence to the process and more. But first, let's take a moment out for a word from my affiliate. Folks, California Wine Club, the premier internet wine club, fixes the problem of you staring at the grocery store shelves wondering what wine is worth your money. The store staff is no help. A rolling shoulder shrug is about the best answer you can expect to get from a wine question. Generally, you're on your own and good luck. California Wine Club members can shop wine selections from small vineyards, which means you get selections not in those stores. Wine Club members can also ask wine questions of a wine consultant who will work with you to learn your wine preferences. Membership also includes the California Wine Club Guide Uncorked, which offers tasting notes on the wines, pairing tips, and some backstory on the growers and the vineyards. Membership starts with the Premier Series, and you can mix and match red or white wines and choose the frequency of delivery. California Wine Club subscriptions are also an excellent gift. Gift-giving season is coming fast, and with the Wine Club Love It Guarantee, you can't go wrong. Click the banner on the show notes page or navigate to culinarylibertarian.com slash cawinemain to learn more about the Love It Guarantee and to join the premier internet wine club. culinarylibertarian.com slash cawinemain to make informed choices about the wines you want to drink and the new wines when they're introduced. CulinaryLibertarian.com slash CAWineMain 
or click the banner on the show notes page. Now let's get back into the show. All right, so brewing tea. I know that there is a procedure to follow, and not everyone does that. As a, <laughs> as a cook, I have respect for the process. I really do, and I get it, but I don't set a timer for steeping tea. As the expert, tell me what happens in the pot of tea, some tea, when it is oversteeped. Oh. And, and probably the most important question, can the tea bags be reused? Oh, those are great questions. So first with the oversteeping, what we like to say in our store is oversteeping is a bitter crime. <laughs> so <laughs> <laughs> what happens is when you oversteep a tea, it will re- the amount of time more caffeine and more tannins are released from the tea leaf. That is where the bitterness is coming from. And uh, people don't generally know that, you know, that caffeine actually is uh, a bitter component, but yeah, it's not great if we remember no dose, right? (laughs) But um, when you oversteep your tea, it's just, you, it's hard to use those leaves again um, because really all the flavors just come out. So, so that's one thing. Um, But with the tea, can you reuse your tea bags? I guess that depends. Uh, If you have a very, I guess, a premium type of tea leaf in the in the bag, and I want to say loose. If you have a loose leaf tea, just loose leaf tea, you can brew that several times. Um, Generally speaking, maybe two or three times. General loose leaf tea bag tea, though, when you have um, say a nondescript black tea and it's very small you can really you can feel it in your hand you can feel it through the tea bag if it's they're small um pieces almost feels like a maybe a black pepper mm-hmm. when you steep that in your mug or in your little teapot and that really is just good for about six to eight ounce yeah six to eight ounces of water boiling water it's going to give all its flavor and color within two minutes it will. And I love doing this comparison with a teabag tea, uh, nondescript brand teabag tea with our loose leaf tea. You know, And it doesn't have to be a premium black tea blend, but just a, a similar black tea to what is in that teabag. And you cannot, I mean, it is so stark what the comparison is. So part of what the purpose is of that tea bag is it's actually intended for one-time use. And, and the tea is so small, what means to us then it has a massive amount of surface area to quickly surrender whatever it has. Whereas that loose leaf tea, by comparison, is magnitudes larger. So we're going to get at least one more good use out of that. You should. And in fact, there are some dark teas that you can get several, I mean, more than several teacups out of it. Um, in particular, this one that I, um, I've had where I got 10 cups. Of tea. What? So it's, it's an amazing, it is a, um, it's not for everybody, I will say, because it is a tea that is more, um, it's got a lot of flavor. And sometimes, you know, people can say it's a, tastes very organic or tastes very um, barney. <laughs> Yeah, well, you know, it's funny you say those two words together because if you, if 
you know, it changes from the medium, but I think when you're talking about a tune, you say it tastes organic and barney, both images, both words create the same image, <laughs> and neither one of them sounds particularly palatable. Right, right. But this type of tea is not meant to be steeped for a very long time, like even three to five minutes. I mean, this is something that you might steep for, say, 30 seconds, one minute, and drink a small cup, a six ounce, that's a typical teacup size is six ounces. But you would drink that, and then you could steep those leaves again, you know, and again, and again, and again. <laughs> right. We have one of these fancy electronic um, hot water pots. Mm -hmm. And it has a variety of temperature ranges, and it tells me that for this kind of tea or that kind of tea, this is the ideal temperature range. And I just say, oh, shut up. Just give me a boil and go away. But what's, I guess the easiest way to ask the question is, can tea get burnt? What's happening if I use too hot water? Mm. So it depends on the type of tea. And I know I, I said there are six types of tea, so I'll just go through that really quick. So there's white tea, green tea, oolong tea, and black tea, um, or just oolong. Now, those are the four that are typical, people know about mostly. Um, the other two are not generally known as in mainstream, is there's yellow tea, and then there's the dark teas. It's pu'er, which is a Chinese word, so pu'er, and it's spelled P-U apostrophe E-R-H. Um, and so those two, we don't talk about as much. It's just not widely known. But each type of tea uh, lends its best uh, flavor when you use certain, you know, like a certain range of temperature, right? So I know you'd ask, like, can you burn your tea? I think it's when you have uh, some loose leaf teas that have been harvested at a young age. And so generally, those are the, the green teas are very delicate. And though green tea is the tea that really it just gets so bitter and is really easy to oversteep. And the th here's the thing too: people generally don't like green tea. They're like, "Oh, I don't like green tea; it's too bitter." Well, because your water's too hot. You've just killed the leaf. Is really what you've done. And um, when you use cooler water, that's you know, you taste it. I, I'm almost ashamed to admit that until just now, it didn't occur to me that green wasn't first referring to its age and not its color. I just figured it was green because that's the color it was, not because it's, because of its relative age. Like, wow. Well, it's dumb, not even dumb. age. It's actually, it's oxidation level. So that's what also, dif that's what differentiates uh, the different types of tea as well. Good. And uh, before you get into that, I, I definitely want to get into the oxidation because I think there's a lot to be said or at least, a good amount to get from that. Before we get into that part, let's take a moment out to listen to Jake from Tasting Anarchy Podcast. Tell us about wine. Hey everyone, Jake here, host of the Tasting Anarchy Podcast. Join my co-host Mason and I each week as we explore the world of wine and alcohol through a Liberty Lens. You can find us on all your major podcatchers, tastinganarchy.com or Tasting Anarchy on Twitter. Tasting Anarchy, your wine and liberty podcast. Find out how much government is in your drink. I'm going to cover some ground we've already covered already. So we've got six kinds of tea. Mm -hmm. And uh, so it's a green, white, 
oolong and black, then yellow, and I heard you say it, but I'm going to say it wrong, pu'er. Yes. So sometimes people say pu'er. Sometimes people say pu'er. Um, so my father-in-law is Chinese, and I asked him at the time, um, he's passed away since, but I asked him, like, can you please pronounce this so I don't <laughs> screw it up? But the way he pronounces it is pu'er. So that really hard R sound. So it's a dark tea. So it's kind of uh, on the spectrum of uh, oxidation. It's it's all the way oxidized, but there's something a little special to that too. So, but we can come back to it. Well, let's, well I, I want to actually start with that because I think it covers the ma maximum amount of things that can be done with a tea leaf. And so oxidation is one. So that means to me, and you clarify this, that the tea leaf is exposed to the air. Yes. Now, pu'er has something additional to it, and tell us what they're doing to it, and then what what that is, what, what effect it's having in the in the teacup. Because I think this is really kind of an important thing. Sure. So, what makes pu'ers different is that it's it's like a black tea. It is a black tea, but it's aged and so it's fermented and that kind of scares people sometimes. But when we say fermented, it's not just left the elements and, you know, out there to grow mold or whatnot. So it is fermented in a, usually a, um, a type of environment that is controlled. Right. But some pores can age, you know, a couple weeks, few months. I've had one that was a 27-year-old pour, which is fantastic. So it's very much like a wine in that sense. Um, so that is, is, it gets through a process that is like all black teas, but then it is stored and it is fermented, it is aged. So, and then that that is pretty much the basic pour. And there's, and then it goes off and there's offshoots of that as well. So, so one of the things that I found very fascinating about this is it, the fermentation, if I read correctly, creates antioxidants. And by the way, I think when, when people hear, you're right, when they hear fermented, they, they think ugly, horrible thoughts. Just remind them that, by the way, chocolate beans are fermented too. Um, so it enhances the flavor. As the puer is fermented, doesn't it also create antioxidants? Yeah, so... All the teas will have some some antioxidants, um, and as you actually the more the more it's oxidized, so that's your black tea and your pu'er. Oolong is partially oxidized. White and green tea are not as oxidized, if at all. Um, they go through a process where you're stopping the oxidation. So, so there are you are correct. There are antioxidants in tea. I didn't even know this as a kind of tea existed until I started reading about this to to talk to you, and I was mm -hmm. just like, "This is this is amazing stuff." Uh, I don't think we're going to go into the grocery store and find this on the shelf. How do I get poor? Well, you know, you uh, I would recommend finding a loose leaf tea shop in your local area, if you can. Um, there's a wonderful website that actually has, it's like a tea directory and you can find a tea shop. But Poor's, um, again, online, many times you can find um, 
uh, good poor through Chinese uh, tea shops. And um, I mean, we have some at our own store. However, because it's kind of a an acquired taste, um, we per- personally don't carry as much, but we have it in the store. We don't have it on our on our online shop. But yeah, look up pours, and so they are available in markets. Um, even a an Asian grocery store, you may find some there too. Now, for the Star Trek Next Generation fans who are going to want to know of the six kinds, which one is Tea Grey Hot? Love it, love it. Uh, and we we thank Captain Picard for that. Earl Grey is a flavored black tea and it's one of the most popular flavored black teas um, in the world so it is flavored through the oil of bergamot so it could be like a if you if it didn't have that it just would be a basic black tea blend so and by the way anybody who comes who says that my picard is terrible i agree with you completely (laughs) i make no attempt to even come close to being Patrick Stewart. I know better than that. So that's, I already know. Dana was fine. It was great. uh, (laughs) uh, It's fun. I mean, it it certainly will throw you back to the thing. All right. So we mentioned, you mentioned tea ceremonies, and I think you're right. That they're, it's it's a career between, between books or who knows what other kind of medium available. Tea ceremonies are full of beauty and custom and maybe even a bit of wonder. So I just wanted to mention that that part. I don't want to ignore that there is tea culture, and uh, so we're going to do more movie references. For those of you who remember the original uh, Karate Kid, yes, that was a, I'm not even sure, do you know, was that a uh, amended Japanese tea ceremony? So interestingly, and I love that movie, uh, a very good tea mentor of Tea Lula uh, he is. Um, he was saying that that tea ceremony was spot on, you know. So that is a great representation, a great example of a tea ceremony. There are there are different tea ceremonies. Some can last as long as four hours. Uh, so I, I don't know personally about them, but I do know that that movie was. That is a great example of a tea ceremony. Well, that's good to know because they, you know. They took some liberties with some things, but it's nice to know that they kept that because that that was fun. I was I enjoyed that. It was fantastic, and what the tea, or the uh, character is using is a matcha, which is a green tea. But that in itself, matcha is also a, another different type of tea um, because the way that it is processed while well, it's harvested, we're actually not only drinking the tea, but we're ingesting the leaf. So the matcha is a kind of a different animal. <laughs> Did I just blow your mind? This may not. No, no. Well, sort of, kind of. But my my question, and I don't know if this is an easy answer, is. Well, I guess the question simply is, why do that? So, this is matcha. Actually, if I remember my tea culture history correctly. It actually came from China, but in Japan, it is made in Japan. You want a great matcha. You want a very good matcha. You're going to find it from Japan. And um, I think the legend is that the monks 
needed to, they wanted to stay awake during prayer. <laughs> and so they used this, um, this technique of, of mushing, of mashing the, the leaves into such a fine powder. So it's almost the, the consistency of a wonderful matcha is going to be very much like cornstarch. And hmm. they would then brew this with their water. And because you're ingesting the leaf as well as drinking the tea, matcha is actually the one tea that has um, a very high concentration of caffeine. The other, re and the other reason is one, you, so you're using cooler water and you're not brewing it very fast. Now, if caffeine comes out with heat, with the temperature of the water and the steep time, but matcha, the leaf is harvested, um, again, kind of young, but about three to four weeks before harvest, they actually will put shade. They will shade the uh, tea plants. So now you are controlling the sunlight, you are increasing the chlorophyll, the, there's a chemical process that the leaves are, are undergoing. And so there is a high concentration of caffeine in these leaves. It's very interesting. I had no idea there was, man, I knew there was a lot to know. I just didn't know what I didn't know. <laughs> it is fast. I, and I am such a novice really at the loose leaf tea um, knowledge. I really am. And it's just so every time you turn around, there's something to learn. But matcha, and that's why matcha, if you get a good one, it is a beautiful green, vibrant green because of the amount of chlorophyll that's in there. Um, and again, it's, it's such finely ground leaf. Um, it is a beautiful beverage. So that's, so there's a good answer for why temperature of water matters. Oh, you can completely destroy matcha. Um, and if you're not used to it, uh, you know, it can be a very jarring experience if you drink matcha for the first time because it is very vegetal and it is, you know, <laughs> I hate to say it, it's green, you know, when, when people drink, it's like, this is not what I thought tea was going to be, but it is a different animal, different plant. I mean, it is not a different plant. I <laughs> right. Same plant. Just different to, process. Well, that, that's so that, but that's that, that, so you know, so the winemaker, or we mentioned chocolate, uh, or the cook, there's, I mean, if you're attentive, there's always something more to learn. And that's really what makes, is what makes things fun is there's something more to learn. Otherwise, right? it's dull and boring. I love it. It's just so great. All right. I want to move into some short answer questions. This is nothing hard. There's no <laughs> test, but this is just kind of, kind of just f fun, short answer love questions. It. Of the five flavors, bitter, Sweet, sour, salty, or umami, which one do you prefer oh, the most? Man. I'll go I will go umami. And it's just so it so depends. <laughs> Fair enough. And that's yeah, I mean it's I of course, but in general, that's fine. You're like my eighth grade geography teacher said, your first answer is your right answer. That's that is true. What's your favorite food? Uh, French fries. <laughs> What's your least favorite food? Oh, man. There is a – I am Filipino, and there is a Filipino delicacy called balut, and that is a duck egg or a chicken egg that is somewhat fertilized, but then they boil it, and I don't like it. <laughs> 
somewhat fertilized. How how very how very tender of you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, Be plain. It's a freaking yeah, duck. But it's an egg form and it's not quite formed. Yes. No, it, it uh I knew a fellow who went down there and, and ate it. Um lived to tell the tale, but I don't know that he was bowled <laughs> over. May not be in a hurry to do Good it for again. him. What sound do you love? Oh, rain. I love it. What sound do you hate? <laughs> when people are chewing really loud. <laughs> yeah. I know someone who feels the same way. What is your favorite food indulgence? Oh, man. Again, I'm a salty freak, I think. It's potato chips. <laughs> oh, man, that's good. For people who are interested in either learning more about tea or maybe want to explore some of those rabbit holes we alluded to, is there a couple of books you can recommend that they can find? Absolutely. There is a wonderful tea book that is, um, it's paperback, and it's just called Tea, A User's Guide. It's by our friend Tony Gebley, G-E-B-E-L-Y. And Tony uh, used to hail from Chicago, where we are. But he does a, a wonderful job of um, going through the processes and also showing uh, different types of tea, uh, very simple and elegant photography, um, but a really approachable and uh, accessible book. So that's one. The other one that I like um, is probably like the first tea book that I bought was called, um, gosh, it's like I can see the cover in my head, but it's by Bruce Richardson, who is you know, one of our, we like to say it, it's a tea, tea industry rock star. And it's New Tea Lover's Companion. Again, it goes through um, tea, but through countries of origin. And there's wonderful stories about the tea, um, also talks about how you would brew the tea. You have pictures of uh, the dry leaf, the infused leaf, what the tea will look like as you, um, when you infuse it. So it's a great book. I think it's Excellent. really, yeah, very accessible. Well, and that's really the key. I mean, if it's hard to do, then People aren't going to, no matter what it is, they're not going to do it. Right. And that's the thing about tea where people think, you know, we've gone through this. There's all sorts of different types of tea and different temperatures. But really, when it comes down to it, you you have a leaf, you need water and something to steep it in, something to decant it or to, um, you know, empty your teapot into your mug or your cup. So really that it is it is a simple beverage um, and it doesn't have to get too complicated. Well, I, that's a good point. And I was actually sort of hinting around that most of the episode was that it can be overwhelming when you look at the Karate Kid tea ceremony or you think about, you know, the rules. So one for everybody and one for the pot. It, it can, if you don't pay attention to the buttons on your Cuisinart little hot water thingamajiggy, there's just so many ways to think you're making a mistake. Mm -hmm. And that there's some sort of tea overlords watching you and they're going to give you a ticket because you did something wrong. And that's just not the case. <laughs> right. We're not going to take your tea card away from you. And, you know, there's no tea police. But um, we like to also troubleshoot, you know, for our customers or even if you aren't a Tea Lula customers and you want to email us. But I'm, I've 
receive phone calls and emails where it's, hey, Julie, I, I bought this tea and it doesn't taste like I thought it would. And then I will ask, well, how did you brew it? And many times we can figure out what, what went wrong. Well, that's cool. So like I said, I'm going to put the link to the books you mentioned and the tea shop on the culinarylibertarian.com slash 104 show notes page. And I think that's it. Is there something that I didn't ask that you think is important that people should understand about tea? <laughs> you know what? When you drink a cup of tea, you're drinking the world. It really is from the harvesters, the, the tea pluckers, through the processing. And I think that's really just the wonderful part about having a really nice uh, cup of tea is that you really are sharing in this rich culture. I mean, this beverage has been around for centuries, right? So I think that's really all you need to know. Just enjoy it. One of the things that sometimes I think about, and, that, and this happens a lot when I'm in when I'm looking at paintings, either in a book or in a museum, when you know when our overlords allow us to go into museums, but there's there's lots of ways we can connect with history. It can happen with food too. If you're making you know a recipe from Escoffier that he made for the king, but there but even to something as simple as a cup of tea, there's some connection. I think that's why culture and ceremony becomes really important with whatever you're doing is there's a connection to at least your own past because that's what mom did and grandma did and great grandma did. And there's a, well, this is, this sounds so weird to say, but there's a connection to ourselves through something as simple as a cup of tea. Absolutely. I completely agree. And um, I think when you look at, at it that way, it's like you enjoy the beverage so much more. Um, and it, there's just so many complexities to it that it can be just so uh, it can be just so calming and charming and and really just lovely. So, yeah, I'd love to share a cup of tea sometime if I am ever in Oregon. <laughs> well, you know, maybe we'll do that one day. We can do it virtually too because we have this we have this lovely technology which is no one will know this except it's giving us fits and starts. <laughs> That's true. We could we can have you on our uh, Facebook Live show. That would be awesome. All right. Well, I'm. Thank you so much for your time today. I appreciate you making time out of your afternoon to uh, spend some of it with me and talk about tea. Oh, it was my pleasure. I'm so glad. And uh, we, let's talk tea anytime. We shall. Thank you so much. Thanks, Dan. Bye bye. All right, folks, that's going to do it. I'll put the links to the books Julie mentioned on the show notes page, culinarylibertarian.com slash 104, as well as a link to T. Lula. Share this episode to your friends on social media so they can learn about T2. Ooh, a song. Rate and review the podcast on your favorite podcatcher and have a great week. I'll see you soon. Music for the Culinary Libertarian podcast is provided by Matthew Bankert at mattbankert.com. I don't know if you're familiar with the French writer Marcel Proust. Yes. So Proust, uh, nobody knows his writing, and if they know anything about him, they know one paragraph about the cookie Madeleine.
<laughs> and 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 to I think it would probably be Pixar's credit, they did a spectacular job in Ratatouille, where Ego at the end of the movie sits down finally to eat the rat's cuisine, and he takes a bite of this Ratatouille, mm-hmm. and in that taste in that second he's transported back to being four years old at dead mama's door because he has a boo-boo and she puts him a plate of ratatouille i love so that. food and and tea too but food and drink mm-hmm. can can have spectacularly potent pun intended time travel possibilities when you get that cookie that reminds you of grandma you're in her, you're in wherever that was. And that happens to me a lot with my grandma. I remember, oh my God, the, the, now I'm Polish, the smell of Gwumki uh. would put me in her kitchen instantly in the middle, right on 8th Avenue in Detroit. I would be in her room that fast. The smell of cabbage and beef and tomato sauce is like, that's it. Love that. It's so true. And, it's so true. I mean, there is a, we have a jasmine green tea. My husband, for some reason, did not know that we carried it at the store. I mean, and we've been customers for years. And I brought it home. And when he had it, he looked at me. He said, I just remembered going to Chinatown with my parents, you know, and having that like probably kindergarten age just remembering what the restaurant was like, the tea, he said, it just brought him back. And it was really wonderful. Yes. Food, culinary smells, the whole umbrella of it all has remarkably potent capabilities. It's, it's wonderful, fun stuff. That's so fun. You're so cool. <laughs> well, I'm glad somebody thinks so. I've been telling people that for years. Don't want to listen. No one listen. No one believes you. Nobody does. All right. 